Hello, this is Janice Alpert with On Purpose, where we interview very interesting guests. Today is no exception. Um, who tell us a little bit about themselves and how they got to where they are and found their purpose. Today we have James Arbolato. Welcome, James. What's up, friends? Thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it so much. Uh, I love being here. Thanks for having me. Oh, great. All right. So really, I I just just start off by asking a little bit about your background, like where'd you grow up and your family? So where'd you grow up and how's your family? So my family's doing well, though. Thanks for asking. Good. Um, I, uh, I'm born and raised in Long Island, New York. Oh, really? Uh, and uh, yeah, spent uh, spent spent all my childhood there. And uh, yeah, two older brothers. Uh, I'm the I'm the baby, as you'll be able to tell throughout this interview. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so my parents have been married 52 years. And, wow. And are proud about it. Not like you know, angry at each other. So uh, yeah, well, that's a. Pretty yep. nice uh, role model to have. I can say that personally, professionally, that's pretty cool. That doesn't happen too often these days. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's uh, I'm very, very fortunate uh, to have them in my life, and I'm, I'm grateful that I have a good relationship with them. Lovely, lovely. All right, so growing up, like grammar school, high, did you have any particular interests that were like you that kind of you felt might be an opening to what you're doing now, or? Yeah, so I originally wanted to be the next Jacques Cousteau. Oh, really? Uh, I did. Yeah, I've uh, I actually have a bachelor. I, I took it a little. I, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I went further than most people with that dream, who stopped dreaming about that in middle school, um, and uh, <laughs> I wound up getting a bachelor of science in marine biology at the wow. University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Around my junior year, though, I realized I was putting too many jokes in my scientific papers. And my teachers are like, this may not be for you. I was like, you know, I think you're right. Oh, <laughs> so, that's, that's funny. But yeah. I, I, was there anyone in your family that was interested in marine biology or the sea or fish or? You know, we, I grew up on the water in Long Island. And so, oh, right. you know, grew in that way interested and, and people, you know, enjoy an aquarium, uh, but not at all. Yes. Like, no, no scientists in my family. I was the only science nerd uh, of, of my brothers and even even most of my siblings or cousins, I should say. Uh, so yeah, but I just, you know, all the, whenever you would look at my, look back at my children's art projects, it's me uh-huh. drawing baleen whales and great white sharks. Wow. And, uh, okay. uh, one of the coolest gifts my parents got me when I was younger was, uh, scuba diving lessons, um, and to become certified as a scuba diver. And wow. so, okay. yeah, so it's fun. So it's interesting because you asked how do these tie together? Right. And, uh, you know, when you think about when I think back about why I wanted to be a marine biologist and why I wa- specifically wanted to be why I wanted to be the next Jacques Cousteau. Right. Uh, it was just any marine biologist. I want to yeah. I want to go underwater around the world and really be that guy. OK, I wanted to be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. My dreams are that guy. Um, but uh, I wanted to be uh, uh, someone who entertained and educated people about something that I was passionate about. OK. And so it's funny because, you know, I'm now a professional speaker. Um, and so now I get paid to entertain and educate people about things that I'm passionate about that I think they should be passionate about. And so it's interesting because marine biology at that time, I kind of had this tunnel vision of like, this is the only way that I can do that. Mm-hmm. But really, there was this nugget underneath of like, I want to entertain and educate at the same time. I could really do that in a whole bunch of different ways, but it took kind of some life experience and some opportunities to realize, hey, marine biology would have been cool. But uh, there's other ways to scratch that itch. But see, I love that because that's part of what we've talked about with many, many people that we've interviewed is that, you know, sometimes we start in one direction and then 
you know, we were clear. We Many people are clear at a young age. This is exactly what I want to do. And they feel pretty focused. This is the path. And then, like you said, with time and well, I want to hear about your other opportunities, but or just experiences, we go, I don't know that that's really what I want to do. It's sometimes really hard to let go, though, of your vision. So how was that for you when when you sort of realized, like, maybe marine biology, I'm not going to be the next Jacques Cousteau? Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, fortunately, my GPA kind of dictated that. Oh, okay. uh-huh. <laughs> just in that uh, I, re- I just didn't have the grades. You know what? I, what, I re- what I didn't realize is that, you know, you, you only see the man on TV on the boat and uh, to entertain yes. you about and teach you about all these fish. You don't hear about the years and hours of research that happened. Like most of most of Jacques Cousteau's life was really him writing research papers. It wasn't staying in front of a camera. Okay. Um, and uh, and the research and all that kind of stuff and writing in scientific language was not uh, something that I really enjoyed or found any passion in. And so when I realized my junior year that that wasn't going to be it, I was like, but I still care about this and I still mm-hmm. want to figure it out. And um, and so uh, so I got in the high school classroom and I was like, maybe I'll be a high school teacher. And uh, oh, you finished. Uh, wait, well, you, so you did get yeah. your degree in marine biology. I have a bachelor of science in marine biology. Interesting. OK, I so currently yeah. use it to Im- I currently use it to impress dates at aquariums. Okay. Um. So, OK, so if you go to the aquarium, you can say this is a I, you. I'm just not any visitor. I'm like a marine biologist visitor. OK. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So when I come to Chicago, we're going to go to the shed, Janice. Okay? OK, this is what I'm telling you. All right. Okay. I already got our day planned. It's, um. it's a date. I've been to the shed aquarium. Matter of <laughs> fact, just as a side funny note, when I went to the shed aquarium, which I did many times, being uh, someone in the Chicago area, um, one of the one of the times we went with my family, I have an older brother, and younger sister, and she brought a friend. And I can't remember if it was my sister or her friend, but she went and hit her head on the water fountain when they had water and had a horrible blood gushing. I don't know why this, I'm just a, a, a story that I'm sharing with the listeners and her tongue. It was just really very memorable. So I will never forget the Shed Aquarium. Um, not just from that. It was it's also a great place to visit, but that's one of my very strong childhood memories that I haven't thought about in a long time. And uh, I love that. Yeah, but that's that's what happened at the Shed Aquarium. But meanwhile, they have yeah. great for anyone who wants to come to Chicago. It is one of our better um, uh, museums or whatever aquariums. It was it was incredible. great. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. have you ever been there? Have you ever been? I have absolutely. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, but so it was funny because you know I uh, <clears throat> um, so so instead when I realized that marine biology wasn't going to be it, I was like, well, maybe I could be a teacher. I got in the high school classroom for a little bit, and okay. uh, and then I, then I found out that I don't think my self esteem is high enough to work with high school students. <laughs> No, uh, oh, they they can be tough. Yeah, they were tough. They were tough. And so uh, so my life went a completely different direction at that point. I was an over involved student leader um, and uh, I had a supervisor when I was an RA in college. who was like, why don't you work with college student leaders for a while while you're figuring out what you want to do? And worse comes to worse, you know, you'll be working at a new university. And when you figure out what you want to okay. be when you grow up, you can get an, a free degree from that institution and, and okay. move on. But and uh, so that's what I did. I became a. a uh, uh, a student affairs professional. I ran college residence halls and campus and activities. Any particular college, or was it? Or yeah, I was at your... Clem- I was at Clemson University for a while, then I was at Fordham University, New Jersey City University of uh, New Jersey City University as well. Um, and so, yeah, kind of bounced around a little bit. Okay. Uh, were you living? Then, were you living on your own, or with you're still at home with your parents? Or yeah, that's the beautiful thing is that 
uh, in college, I discovered my love for comedy and I started doing open mic nights. And so when it came to this job, I said, well, I'm going to get a job and work in residence life where they give you a free apartment and I'm going to go work in one of the big comedy cities in the country. And so I got a, I got a job on the Upper West Side of Manhattan at Fordham University, and I lived okay. for free on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Wow. Um, and was able to do open mic nights, and I trained at the Upper West Citizens Brigade Theater for improv, and I wound up really diving in and was able to kind of pursue these comedy dreams while I also had this job that took care of my housing, and I got to do something I loved. So That's cool. So while, wait, out. going back to the comedy. So was there a part of you, once you let go of the Jacques Cousteau dream, where you're now thinking, I'm going to be the next whomever, Eddie Murphy, I don't know, so, like a, a famous comedian or like, I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be on The Tonight Show. Or and Yeah, the, Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live. Live. Yeah, that was my goal at that time. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, did a bunch of stand-up, tried to write some sketch and did a whole bunch of improv comedy. Um, and then also realized along that path that uh, that also wasn't what I wanted to do. Oh, okay. uh, so it was interesting because in college, I realized I didn't want to be solely academic. Okay. And, and, uh, and once I got out of graduate school, I, I realized that I didn't want to be solely entertainment, but it's a combination of the two that was pretty, that I really did love, right? Like things like teaching and leading and, and stuff like that. And so, I, you know, it's funny, I was taking some students to a conference that I had went to as a student leader, just to get okay. them that experience. There was a call for programs uh, at that conference so people could present a workshop. And I was sitting there like, I like attention. And uh, <laughs> so I submitted a program. It got accepted. And somebody came up to me after it, after I presented and asked me how much I charged. And it was at that reason. And it was that moment that I realized, hold up a second, maybe I got a little something here. And that's what even bought being brought being a professional speaker, a motivational speaker into my life is a possibility. Really? Okay. So going when so when you're on the comedy route, uh, first of all, did you meet anybody famous that we want we want to know? Uh, a lot of people. Yeah, I was at the Upright Citizens Brigade uh, when the UCB was pulling uh, when SNL was pulling a bunch of people from it. So I know a lot of people on SNL. I know. Yeah, I, yeah, I know a good amount. Cool. Of people, so. I, I love I love entertainment and I love yeah. TV and I love <laughs> I love I love entertainers. I like to know what the scoop is. Okay. So, but while you're doing that, you're also getting your a graduate degree, a master's. Yeah, yep. So I fin I had finished my master's, and this was my first professional job ever in New York City. Was first it a job master's in biology, though? That's what I want to know. Or it was, was not? No, it was not. Yeah, I kind of skipped that. Um, I got a master's in counseling with an emphasis in higher education because I wanted to work with college students. Oh, okay. All right. So while you were doing all that, and you had your own apartment, and doing the comedy bit. And then someone, you did a presentation, a whatever, a legitimate academic one, and but you were funny in it, apparently. And someone said to you, what do you charge? Yeah. And then you thought, aha, I could maybe huh. be a professional speaker and make some money. Kind of. It was, or I don't know, there was, was that clear? Was it yes, that? It, was, it wasn't quite that clear, that clear because, to be honest with you, Janice, at that moment, um, I didn't think I was good enough. I also didn't think people needed to hear my story, right? Like I was a... Uh, you know, who, who needs to hear another story of a, a straight white boy who was raised with more than enough, right? Like, you know, who needs all this, all the public speakers that I had seen at that point. Oh, I know. Lost their leg in Nam or who had climbed a mountain blind or, uh, you know, grew up on, on the other side of the track. I totally, right? I was, a, I was for a short period of time a professional speaker as well. Yeah. And also didn't know if my story was dramatic enough, but here's the thing. And this is for anyone who's listening. Anybody's story, if it's real and authentic, 
is good enough to share because we all we all have different journeys. And so some are more dramatic and that's true. And others, it can be less dramatic, but still just as impactful. So don't don't ever let if you're starting whatever that isn't good enough or you start thinking that James and I are here to say, uh, 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 everybody has a good story. And Mm -hmm. I think when we share our stories, we are richer for it. And so as people who are listening. So. So what made you kind of realize that, that you didn't have to lose a leg or an arm or fight in the war to share your uh, wonderful insight and knowledge in an entertaining way yet? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it was that moment where I, I I realized that everyday stories are also sometimes just as powerful as yes. signature stories. Um, totally. And 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 you, know, you got with all speaking, as you know, you got to find your angle. And so mm-hmm. humor was my angle. My angle wasn't that I had been through something dramatic. It was that my speaking style is I get people laughing and then I sucker punch them in the feels. Right. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, but those everyday stories and those moments of relatability and vulnerability um, are really powerful for people. So so that's I, kind of how that's that's the lane I figured out. OK, so good for you. So what was your first like, how did you go about doing this? Because anyone who's ever tried to start uh, their own business, it's that in itself is like, OK, am I going to what am I going to have a name for my business? How, how am I going to get myself out there? What's the marketing strategy? So how did you go about this? Because all of those, I always say that anyone that's going to follow their purposes, which I think people obviously wouldn't be doing this if I didn't feel this way, that we all have a, whatever you want to call it, a calling, a whatever, whatever it is, a gut intuition, like this is what I should be doing in my life. It doesn't mean that it's all going to be smooth sailing. So how is it for you once you turn the corner and kind of had the aha moment like, oh, I think this is what I want to do. I want to speak, but I also want to educate and inform and motivate. Yep. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I opened up my mouth uh, and I started telling people in my circle that okay. I was like, hey, I think I got something here and I want to try to do it. Could I come and do it, uh, you know, for your people for free or for could you cover my expenses or could you like, would you, could you, uh, could you write me a recommendation letter? There are things like that. And it was, okay. and that's how I really started to build it up is that I reached out to my current network. It was just like, I think I got a thing. But I'm not sure if I got a thing. So if you want to find out if I got a thing for real cheap or free, then like I'm down um, and like and I'm here to grow it. And, you know, because at that point, it was anybody who thinks they can be a professional speaker and just is like, pay me as they're out of their minds. Right. There's totally. An art, there's an art to building a great keynote just because you have a great story doesn't mean you're great at delivering it. Um, exactly. And- I so, remember I joined. Uh, I joined yeah. when I decided I was going to do this. This is like 30 years ago. Um, and I only did for a short period of time because I couldn't do everything. I couldn't do my private practice and raise my kids. And it was just whatever. Um, but I remember I joined the Illinois Speakers Association. Then I joined the National Speakers Association. I remember I went to California um, all by myself just to listen to people and sort of see what it was all about and saw that even though I had done some local speaking just in my Chicago area with just some charity groups and whatnot, again, sometimes for free, sometimes for whatever, a hundred, nothing of any significance. But if I wanted to do it and really do it, do it, that I had a little more uh, ways to go here before that was going to happen. So it's helpful to practice um, on people that you know. So, and I'm just curious, were these in your network, were these other schools or was it corporations or companies or all of the above or? Yeah, most of the, these were friends of mine that were in grad school with me that now went to 
and their their own. Everybody worked at a different college after we got okay. out of grad school. And so I reached out to them and said, hey, could your student leaders need something like this? So you started uh, with student leaders. I started with yeah. student leaders. Yeah. yeah I spoke I spoke to colleges and universities still do, actually. Um, but uh, right now they're about, you know, 40 to 50 percent of my business. Okay. Um, and because uh, I don't you know, I don't bite the hand that feeds me. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, we have I to keep our base. Have to keep yeah, our base. So. I think also, you know, something, you know, as we're thinking about talking about purpose, right? Like we love to give back to people who are in that point in their life. That was a big moment for us. Mm -hmm. And becoming a college student leader was a really huge moment for me. It was when I really kind of discovered who I am, what some of my talents were, made me start believing in myself and made me start to realize I have more to offer to this world. And like, you know, that's a moment that was so pivotal for me. And we like to give back to people who are going through some of those big moments that we had. I couldn't agree more. That's part of, I always feel, I think I've said this before, um, that when we're on our purpose, it almost always, I don't really know when it doesn't include helping other people. So, um, and that just, it's just like a win-win. We're doing what we love inside and then we can touch someone else's soul and help them get where they want to go. Well, how Mm -hmm. great is that? So. Absolutely beautiful. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. So so now so so while you're doing all this, were there anything like do you still live in Long Island? I mean, I know you told me where you live, but they don't know where you live. So I you don't live in Long Island. I know that. Um, how did you you're in Minnesota for the listeners? He's in Minnesota. How did you get from Long Island to Minnesota? What was that part of your personal story? Yeah, a lot of life happened in there. Um, yes, I would so, imagine. Uh, yeah, so I worked uh, I worked in New York City for a while, then I worked in Jersey City for a while. I met a woman, uh, and uh, and she she got a job in upstate New York, um, and okay. so I was like, I'll I'll move up there with you. Uh, hated that. Realized the relationship wasn't serving me as well. Uh, went through a divorce, um, and uh, moved back to New York City, um, and uh, and really kind of dug in. Mm-hmm. Met somebody else who happens to be from Minnesota. Convinced her. To move to New York, and I was like, "This is perfect. These are my dreams." I met the woman of my dreams. We're yep. now living in the city of my dreams. Little did I know uh, that once children came along, we were going to have to move. And so, <laughs> so we moved to Minnesota to be closer to her family um, and start one of our own. And uh, so now we have two kids under three. We got one. Oh, wow. Three. We got one will be three on New Year's Eve, and the other one's five months old. And oh, congratulations. Uh, so, thank you, friend. Yeah, we are in the middle of it right now, but uh, for sure, we're living where we should be, uh, given the given our family situation and the support that we uh, that we need. Okay, so that's great. So, so, but that was another. So again, just to recap here, it wasn't like everything just went easy peasy here. So you no. you had to go. You you met someone, got married, and then they had to make a big decision to get divorced. Which for an, I'm. Divorce, so I mean, I'm remarried, but I mean that is never an easy decision, yeah. and painful and un- unsettling, etc. Um, but when something's not right, we want to hopefully learn from that and move on. So you were, but it's not, not everybody does. So that takes a lot of courage. So good for you. Um, and then, and that's what I love about this is that you don't, you can't, you're you're taking a leap of faith when you know we're in something we kind of know it's not good. This is personally or professionally, and we decide I've just got to leave this. And you just take that leap of faith. Okay, well, I don't know what's out there, but I know that this is not what I want. This is not going to be sustainable for me. Um, and so you did that. And then you met this lovely woman that you're with now. So yeah. isn't that nice? Very fortunate that it worked out. 
Uh, and, uh, yeah, there was a moment where, uh, it's not like anything was catastrophically wrong in my first marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of that moment where I was like, this is good, but what, what if I deserve great? Um, and, exactly. uh, and, exactly. you know, that's a hard thing to say, right? That's no, no insult to, to the woman that I was married no, to I totally understand. Um, or anything like that. It's just, you know, our, our lives were going different directions in my opinion. And, uh, and so, yeah. <clears throat> no, listen, my ex-husband and I are very good friends. And I remember when, you know, we really tried hard. We both did. And he was my childhood sweetheart. I, I didn't divorce him because I didn't love him. And he knows I still love him now. That's in vice versa. It's never going to change. But he's happily married. I'm happily remarried. It just wasn't, it worked fine when we were 16 or I was, you know, but as I got older, I thought, I don't know, this is, I know this is, I think we're just, just growing in different ways. So it doesn't have to be like horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, it just sometimes, but you know, here's the thing about that in a relationship or even in a job, it doesn't have to necessarily be horrible, horrible, horrible. But if in your inside, you feel it's just not right, that it's just really not right. Is that is that a good enough reason to change the situation? And I think you would say, and I would say that yes, that if if on your inside you're thinking this is okay, but don't I deserve more than okay? And I think I think that we all do. So that you, but that being said, the status quo, you know, general personality of most human beings is we we are avert, you know, we have an aversion to change. We like we like things kind of status quo. So it's scary. It's scary to change. But yeah. you can't know until you're, you know, you, you like I said, you take that leap and you go listen to your own uh, your own gut. And you took a pretty from living in the East Coast all this your whole life, basically, to move to the Midwest, no, different. And New York is like I, I just went to New York this summer and it's a happening place and it's busy, busy, busy. I feel like Minnesota is like. Midwest, calmer, just a different kind of culture. Not bad, just different kind of culture. It's a, it's a different pace. You are right. A different, a different pace. So do you? <laughs> so so now. So, but your wife knew that you were going to be doing the speaking stuff. Correct. She knew that, she knew that quite well because okay. she is all. Her name's Tina Van Steenbergen, um, and she is also a professional speaker. Oh, okay. So that's kind of fun. Very fun. So you yep. both must do a certain amount of travel. Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, yes, a lot of travel. Okay, that's one yeah. of the reasons why we live where we do is because we needed some more support on the ground. Perfect. But the, it's also part of when we make life decisions, we don't just oh, I have so much faith. We also want to use our brain to say, okay, well, how is this going to work if I have a family? I've got to have someone watching the kids, and yep. you know, are the grandparents willing? And how are we going to do this? So you have to, you know, kind of balance everything. Okay, so tell us now. Now I'm curious. I'm sure listen. What exactly do you speak on? Like, what's your, what's your, what's your thing? Yeah, definitely. I try to uh, create uh, community and organizations. I want people who work in organizations or or in associations together to give a crap about each other. I do that okay. in two ways. Um, I affect organizational culture by talking to leaders about how to be more authentic, more vulnerable, more relatable, and I okay. also talk to organizations about how to inject a mindset of curiosity um, into their workforce so that, yes, curiosity can lead to innovation and those beautiful things, which is important, but curiosity also deepens community. And if we want people to stick around, mm -hmm. then we need to feel like we're 
surrounded by people who we care for. People will stay for community longer than they will stay because of the paycheck. I love that. That's one of the things I've talked a little bit. My very first interview or one of my first interviews was my husband and his company started 75 years ago by his uncle um, and his dad. And they started it with just a glove. It was right after the Depression. It's, as I said, at 75 years old. And they have people working there besides my husband who's been there for 50 years. I mean, whatever. He's one of the owners. But they have people working there who've been there for 40, 45 years, 30 years, like long-term employees. And I believe, I'll shout out to Maggot Glove. I'll just throw that out there. I believe that part of why they have these incredibly long-term employees from every, from people who sew, who sew the gloves to to their uh, you know middle management to top management, all how they've built this company with now they've got five, 600, maybe more employees, 700 employees, a lot of employees. But a lot of them that have been there year after year after year is just what you're saying. They provide, I think, an unbelievable um, environment for caring and they treat their employees with respect and and vice versa. So to me, that sounds like what you're trying to get across here is that you got to be nice to each other. And when you say vulnerable... Like turns out. You, yeah, it turns <laughs> out that if you're nice to each other, then then your company will do better. But when you talk about vulnerability, which of course I love, like yeah. would you are you trying to tell um coworkers to share more about themselves and their lives with each other and their bosses? Or what's what does that mean, share being more vulnerable? Yeah. So I've talked to leaders about how they should lead imperfectly, <clears throat> um, uh, which means that okay. uh, I want you to lead through your stories, your slips, your struggles, and also your strengths. But don't forget to talk about the times where you, uh, I don't know, stepped in the mud and created a ripple effect that you didn't anticipate creating. Right. And Did you mess, this, was, you this was your intent, but this was your this wound up being the impact. And yeah. here's how you had to own that. Here's how you grew from that. Here's what you learned from that. Because it creates a culture of Hey, this is a place where you can step in the mud and we tell you that, okay, learn from it. (laughs) Right. You're not necessarily going to get fired and I'm not going to, you know, I might be a little upset, but then we're going to learn and grow from it. That's kind of your theme. So you'll go into company, you know, so you'll do this in companies too, I'm guessing, or is it just, so now you've branched out, not just colleges, you go into companies, associations, whatever. Correct. And Yeah. And so yeah, this think- is what, yeah, this is what I, yeah, and this is what I uh, love to talk to those folks about. Um, and uh, because it's also, there's some mental health in it, right? And it's kind of, it's a sneaky thing that I squeeze in there, but it's, it's, it's deciding that you are enough uh, despite your faults, right? Like you were not yeah. chosen to lead because you were the most perfect. You were chosen because you were the most trusted. So how can you recognize that? Other people saw your greatness before you did, and it doesn't make them wrong. So you must have the sauce. So lean into it. Love it. At the same time, bring your humanity with you. Don't try to be who you think they meant to hire. Um, Instead, just be you, because it turns out you're the one they wanted to hire. I love that so very much. But I just love your whole story that you started off wanting to be Jacques Cousteau, and then (laughs) you ended up you know, doing what you're, what you're doing now and taking your, you know, all your education though, and including the mental health components and putting it into your talk to be motivational. And like you said, I can just see from talking to you that you're passionate about what you do and that will come off in, in what, in your talks. And so what, when, I'm just curious before we're going to wrap up a bit, but um, when you, 
when the leaders, when you, when the leaders hear you, like the people who are in the in charge, whatever the bosses, mm-hmm. and you're telling them, like, listen, you you have to be able to be a little more vulnerable. You have to share your story, and you have to share your mess ups, and you you have to own it. Do they greet that well, or do they think like, oh, what is with this James? He wants us to be open with my employees. I don't know. What's what's the general? Uh, who's this guy? Yeah, yeah right. who's this guy? Yeah, who is this guy? I don't yeah. know about him. Yeah, How, what's what's been the the feedback or response or? There is a big determiner on how they hear it. Okay. If the only people in the room are leaders, Mm -hmm. then they actually internalize the message and they say, oh, interesting. I could see how that could be helpful. Okay. If the leaders are in the room with the people that they lead and hear it, they're like, you know, I really hope my people were listening because they needed to hear that today. And I'm like, no, Rick, you needed to hear it. Exactly. This isn't about your people. This is you, bro. I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so it's interesting the way, you know, some of those, the way people hear it differently, um, depending on who's in the room. Do do you request um, when you when you do this at this stage, would you request like, I just really want to talk to the leaders and then I'll do a separate talk for the employees. Or are you okay having a mix up like all together? I su- uh, I suggest different things, but ultimately okay. people only have time for what they have time for or right. budget for what they have budget for. Right. And so I've now, since I've seen that pattern, mm-hmm. I'll now actually in the middle of the talk be like, and where are my leaders at? Leaders, how you doing? How you doing right now? How many of y'all are thinking, man, it's so good that my people are around here hearing this. They really need to hear. I want them to be more authentic and vulnerable. That's amazing. I'm sure they already do that. I'm talking to you. Um, and right. And I call those people out in the meeting. I was like, this is I'm talking to you right now. I'm not talking to your people. Right. You don't get to sit in the back because you've made it because you've gotten far enough because you have this title. No, mm-hmm. my friend, this is also for you. It's um, for everybody. We, That's... Yeah. This is how we impact culture. OK. I love it. I love it. No, I think you're doing just like great stuff. Um, all right. Thanks, so if you were if you were going to be telling somebody who's kind of on the fence right now giving them some advice, like they're thinking, I want to do something different. I, I always thought that I would be doing this. Um, and this could be in their personal or professional life. Like I thought this, like I thought this person was the person or even in friendships. This was always such a good friend, but now I sort of am seeing something and I have to take a step back or I want a new job or whatever. any thoughts that you would, but, and they know it inside. Who's ever listening, they know what I'm talking about. They've already had the thought they have that icky feeling like, this isn't good for me. They have some other story or thought or idea percolating. Any advice that you would give them to kind of follow their their voice? Yeah, I mean, at some point in time, right, they talk about, uh, you know, crap or get off the pot, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. they, that's, that's certainly a move. But I think it's also making the choice of you either need to step up or step out. Mm-hmm. And stepping up, looks like figuring out a way to advocate for yourself. Okay. Right. If you're not going to actively, um, uh, if, if you're if you're not ready to leave, because we all have stuff going on in our lives, right? Not everybody can just leave a job. Oh, uh, or leave a, a, or leave a relationship. You can't. Correct. Yeah. You no, know, I've had, and listen, yeah. as a therapist, I, it, yeah, I go, well, hold on one second. You've got some kids. Let's not just, let's see if we can take a step and take a breath and just wait a second here. So yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, so, so, so figuring out ways to advocate for yourself, how are you communicating what your expectations are? How are you providing clarity? How are you, all those kinds of things? Cause we know the thing that ends 
the thing that hurts most relationships is holding people accountable to expectations they didn't know you set for them. Or even if you set for them and they're not capable of doing it. So, sure. you know, you, you have to be able to say, OK, this is this is what I love about my spouse or my significant other, whatever. However, if I want like and, and I, I think about this in my own life, if, if I said to my husband, I want you to meditate each day and be on the spiritual path, I would be in big trouble because he is actually the most one of the most Zen people that I know. But he just is that way because he is that way. He's just a calm. It's just who he is. I'm someone that I have to meditate. Well, I don't have to, but I do because I I need to just take it down and out. He doesn't need any more down notching. You know what I'm saying? So if I expected uh-huh. that of him because I need it, then we'd be in trouble. So you have to kind of know who you're talking to. But yeah, that being I said, agree. if it doesn't work, then you have to ask yourself these other questions like, okay, if this isn't, again, job or relationship, if this isn't really feeling right for me, let me take some time to think about it. We don't impulsively just say, okay, I'm done. How are we going to do it? Um, But if our inner voice keeps telling us this is what we need to do, then we need to make that plan and do our best if we can to make it happen. Because everybody can do it. It's it's not like you said, you don't have to have like an extraordinary story. You don't have to have the worst story or the best story. We're all Mm -hmm. human. We've just all got a story, whatever. And so we each have like, we're all struggling here to do the best we can. <laughs> so we want to get as much, I feel, joy and fulfillment for the time we have here on this planet um, to find love and inner peace and help the world. That's it. That's okay. it. Well, and, sounds like, yes, and go. And, and the only other thing is that is, uh, and this is, I think, yeah, kind of uh, uh, adds on to your point, is that if we are not going to step up and advocating, if we tried that and we are going to step out, the way that you leave matters. Uh, totally. So, uh, so that's the only thing that I would add on to what you said. The way the way that we leave matters. Um, and you so, uh, that yeah. is so true. Because what flashes in my mind, even though my ex husband and I've been apart for a long time, but I remember. Oh, I could almost get to it. I remember saying to him, "I love you, and I know you love me, but don't you deserve to have someone who loves you fully and completely in a different way that'll make mm-hmm. you happier?" Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just think that was like just now when I look, and I was so young. But I thought that was it's a very mature way to say it. I do have to say. Um, anyways, I and I do think I do think that's part. Well, both of us cared about each other, too. Um, and we have two kids and whatnot. But I think we've we've worked really well as um, co-parents and now co-grandparents. And so how you leave does matter. But even I just have to say this. I've worked with people both personally and professionally who have left in not such a great manner. You can still heal that. Don't 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 think that just because it was, you know, people do, you know, people do sometimes things they shouldn't do. There's lying, there's cheating in business, in relationships. You can still make up. You can forgive. So because that forgiving is for you and it just yeah. makes you, especially if you happen to have children and whatnot. So it doesn't I, I feel very blessed and mine was pretty amicable. Um, not that we didn't have our moments. Of course, we did. But um but mostly it was pretty amicable. Well, you can't yeah, get divorced sure. and have it be perfect. I mean, that's impossible. But with time right. and hard work and love in your heart, you can heal from that. So, but I do agree. If you can do it in a nice way and a better, much better. Yeah. So good advice. All right, James, a pleasure. Uh, so nice talking to you and getting to know you. So I always finish every um, podcast with a little quote. So this is what I came up with today. Um There is no greater gift you can give or receive than to honor your calling. It's why you were born and how you will become most truly alive. 
That was from Oprah Winfrey. I don't know. You know, I, I Google it always the night before. So that's what touched me. And I think it was a good one for today, if I do say so myself. I love All right. Thanks. Take good care. Um, with that, this is Janice Albert. A thank you for listening to On Purpose. Hoping you're doing your life with some purpose and maybe even on purpose. Um, until next time, bye-bye. 